Hi, everybody. Welcome to Trek Trek. I'm your host, Justin Chang, and with me is Randy Nelson. Hello, hello, hello. We are back. Yeah, we're back. It was a Memorial Day weekend. Yep. So Took a little break. Yeah. We were uh, traveling. Well, Justin was traveling, and maybe we'll talk about why you were traveling. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was traveling. What were you up to? <laughs> and we went to uh, an anime convention. Yeah. Yeah, we went to FanimeCon 2015, mm-hmm. uh, and we were joined by a Trek Trek alumnus. Uh, yeah, Cody Martin. Yeah. You guys, you folks have heard him on the uh, the internet airwaves before with us. Uh, yeah, so it was it was pretty cool. Uh, it was my first dedicated uh, anime convention. Um, but oh wait, I was about to say we there was nothing Star Trek related at all. But I think you could prove me wrong, right? Didn't you see someone in a Starfleet uniform? Yeah. Or like a half Starfleet <laughs> uniform? Yeah, like something. The, the top half was like the next gen uniform or something. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. the bottom part was just like jeans and sneakers. Yeah. So, you know, low commitment cosplay. Right. <laughs> so unfortunately, no Neelix. I mean, granted, this was a anime convention. So, you know. Uh, there were, obviously there were video game characters, movie characters, you know, not strictly anime, but yeah. Force uh, Awakens. Huh? Yeah, we, we saw one, I think, one cosplayer as, uh, as, uh, Ray, uh, last name unknown from <laughs> The Force Awakens. But no, yeah, but only like a half a Star Trek cosplayer, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, step it up, San Jose. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, uh, well, I, I'm sure we'll get our fill when there's another local, uh, Star Trek convention or sci-fi convention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we did that. Uh, Star Trek's all about nonviolence. Apparently that convention was not about nonviolence. Oh yeah. There was like a show, well, a showdown between some GMO, uh, some, you know, kind of science fiction-y cause it was genetically modified, uh, crop protesters versus anime characters so yeah there was one anti-gmo person who was really aggressive really was kind of like anti-society anti-peace and order yeah definitely not a star trek fan yeah that is one thing we've got figured out the star trek fans is Mm non-violence well i mean unless you're fighting the borg or well we'll talk about that we'll talk about violence in the world of star trek this episode yeah. Is there what, there uh, was a bet. You want to get into it? Yeah, let's do it, man. Uh, let's talk about Star Trek Enterprise Season 2, Episode 1, Shockwave Part 2. Original air date, September 18th, 2002. Uh, yeah, it's a direct continuation from the Season 1 finale. Uh, the episode opens on the Enterprise, surrounded by Sulaban pods. Uh, acting Captain T'Pol tells Silic that Archer isn't on the Enterprise. She invites him to come aboard the ship to confirm what she's telling him. And uh, Silic's ship docks with the Enterprise as it cuts to the opening credits. So pretty much, hey, don't believe me? Come on. I'm inviting you over to the Enterprise. Yep. And Reed was not a fan. <laughs> not at all. Uh, in the 31st century... Archer and Daniels are walking through the ruined city. Suddenly, Daniels notices that a monument is missing uh, because it was never built. Mm. 
the uh, the monument commemorates a federation that doesn't exist in Archer's time, but it will. And Daniels and Archer are trying to find a library. Daniels says it won't matter if they find it because all the data is stored electronically and there's no electricity. At the library, uh, Archer and Daniels see thousands of books and no computers. So he was wrong. <laughs> so books still had a value in the 31st century. That's right. On what I'm assuming is Earth. Uh, I mean, they, it's, they just said it was an unknown planet. Or they, they, they never yeah. said anything, actually. Oh, we don't even know what the Federation is. It yeah. could have been, you know, like a sports federation. Yeah, you know. Oh. Uh on the bridge of the Enterprise, uh, Silic has the Enterprise crew at gunpoint. He wants the discs that were stolen from him, and he wants to ensure that they weren't duplicated. A Suthaban soldier steps out from the turbo lift and uh, goes up to Silic and confirms that Archer is not aboard the ship. Uh, he shows Silic some sort of readings that he took on the turbo lift, and there is a temporal signature. Silic tests trip with shutting down the comm systems and computer terminals outside of the bridge and engineering, and he wants all the Enterprise crew confined to their quarters. Uh, trip wants to fight them, but T'Pol tells them to go along with it. Because, you know, it's not worth fighting them at this yeah. point. Mm -hmm. On Earth, uh, at Starfleet Command, Ambassador Saval is speaking with Admiral Forrest about the whereabouts of the Enterprise. They're three days late. Uh, Saval already knows that the Vulcan ship Dakir has spotted Enterprise and some other ships that they couldn't identify. Uh, these ships were too far away for the Dakir. Uh, Saval insists that Enterprise is defying Starfleet's orders, and he thinks that Archer has kidnapped T'Pol. Uh, because, yeah, because of everything that they have to go on. <laughs> the fact that well, never mind. We'll get into it later. <laughs> Saval always thinks the worst of Archer. Yeah, and humans in general. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that the Enterprise has been taken to the Suluban HQ, also known as the Helix. Silic can't get in touch with the Shadow Man. Uh, Silic's right-hand man wants to destroy Enterprise because the Shadow Man asked them to. Uh, Silic wants to Paul for some reason. And so he's pretty much like, uh, no, let, let's just, before we go uh, destroying the Enterprise, let's check in with our boss. Yeah, we gotta get new orders. We don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. In the 31st century library, Archer and Daniels are searching through books. Archer hasn't found any reference to the Federation. Daniels says everything up to the Warp 5 program looks right, uh, but after that, everything is wrong. Uh, it's because Archer wasn't there. Archer sees a book about the Romulan Star Empire, but Daniels puts it away before he can look closer. Mm -hmm. Daniels explains that Archer was important because he sets events in motion. Uh, Daniels realizes that rescuing Archer ironically helped his enemies. Daniels needs to return Archer to fix everything. Uh, Daniels takes Archer's communicator and a scanner. He wants to replicate what the Suthaban's bosses do in communicating with the past since they since they can't actually travel through time. Uh, back at the Helix, Silic is torturing T'Pol to find out where Archer is. In the 31st century, Daniels is working on his communicator while Archer tries to find the materials that Daniels needs. 
On the Enterprise, Reed is pacing in his quarters when he receives a call from Trip, who is using the doorbells on the deck as communicators. Yeah, it was kind of creepy. I was like, wow, uh, Archer's coming through already? Nah, not yet. Nope. Trip, uh, you know, he's he's an engineer, so he can mm-hmm. figure this stuff out. Back in the 31st century, Daniels is trying to ensure that he contacts Archer from the past on the exact day that he left so that he doesn't contaminate the time stream any further than he already has. Uh, back on Enterprise, two Sulevan soldiers drag T'Pol back to her quarters. She's weakened and shaking after her ordeal. Suddenly, Archer's floating head appears in her quarters, but she's so <laughs> out of it that she isn't really focusing um, Archer tells her to go to Daniel's quarters. Meanwhile, uh, Trip has contacted Mayweather via the doorbell system. They're in a conference call with Reed and Hoshi talking about an escape plan. They need someone small to get through uh, some crawl spaces, so they need Hoshi to do it. Uh, however, she's claustrophobic. Uh, T'Pol is also on the line and tells Hoshi that there's no one else who can get to Flox's quarters and then Reed's quarters after that. Hoshi is crawling through some ducks. Uh, she spots some Suthaban pass by underneath. It's a very Metal Gear Solid. Flox mm-hmm. uh, is working in his quarters when he hears a knocking from up above. He hands Hoshi some hyposprays. Uh, Hoshi crawls further and starts freaking out a bit, but she manages to find her exit. Uh, she falls through it, but she loses her shirt in the process. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, when she arrives at Reed's quarters, she's covering her chest with her hands. Uh-huh. Um, Don't say a word, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Enterprise is still doing weird stuff like that. And, yeah. Um, Elsewhere on the Enterprise, two Suleban soldiers are patrolling a hallway when they see a delirious T'Pol on the floor. They grab her, and suddenly Trip and Reed drop down from above and inject the soldiers with the hyposprays, and they knock them out. Uh, the, uh, they drag the Suleban back to someone's quarters where Hoshi is waiting. Reed has one of the Suleban's guns. Trip tells him that he has 30 minutes. Uh, Reed sneaks around, avoiding patrols, until he reaches Daniel's quarters. Reed enters and reaches into a locker door, which is actually a portal that leads to some sort of storage area. Um, kind of like subspace or something. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the explanation for where Optimus Prime's trailer goes. Mm-hmm. Or the rest of the TARDIS? No, I guess not the TARDIS. Never mind. <laughs> Nope. Optimus Prime, Prime's trailer. <laughs> uh, from there, Reed pulls out a device that looks like a Beat Mania controller. <laughs> Was this before Beat Mania? I'm going to look that up, folks, as you continue. As uh, Reed is leaving, he discovers that two Suleban have found him. Reed is being beaten by Silic's right-hand man. Silic wants to know what the device is, and Reed doesn't know what it does, but he tells them that Archer told him to destroy it because it could be used to contact someone. In engineering, these Suleban soldiers are taken out with phasers and a Vulcan nerve pinch. In the Helix, Silic uses the device from Daniel's quarters. On the bridge of the Enterprise, they notice that something is happening in engineering. Back in the Helix, Silic is still pressing buttons on the device, and he gets interrupted. 
his right-hand man is calling from Enterprise and tells him that something's going down in engineering. Silik goes back to his toy. In engineering, Sulan's soldiers are running around as the warp engine is exploding. Uh, Silik's right-hand man calls and tells him that the Enterprise crew is committing suicide by sabotaging the warp reactor. Silik wants them to drag Enterprise out of range of the helix, and he goes back to Daniel's device. On the Enterprise, the Subban are evacuating the ship and dragging the ship out of the nebula. Things are going crazy. Yeah, everything, everything's gotten back and forth here. It's real uh, exciting. Mm-hmm. On the Helix, Silik thinks he's contacted the Shadow Man. Out in space, the Subban watch as the Enterprise is exploding. After the Subban leave, the Enterprise warps away. Ah, uh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. I was actually kind of worried about the Enterprise there for a second. <laughs> Trip's just really good with the pyrotechnics. Yeah, as uh, T'Pol says when they're on the bridge, uh, when Trip reveals that they faked the warp core breach. Uh-huh. But they didn't really get away because a bunch of Suleban cell, uh, cell ships start following them. Which can apparently move at warp speed, these tiny little ships. So, well, they have some serious technology. Yeah, they have future technology. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Silic is desperate to get instructions from the Shadow Man. Suddenly, Archer dropkicks Silic and subdues him with a punch. He then grabs Silic's gun and holds it to Silic's head, telling him to call off all the cell ships that are following Enterprise and to give him the data disks. Before he leaves with Silic, Archer destroys Daniel's device. Back on the Enterprise, they're being attacked by the Suleban cell ships. They're looking for the Dekir, um... Enterprise is really taking a pounding from the cell ships, but suddenly the assault stops because the cell ships have the Enterprise surrounded. There's no sign of the Vulcan ship, but the cell ships disengage anyway. One cell ship approaches, T'Pol hails it, and Archer responds. Uh, he reveals that he still has Silic hostage, but says that they'll be long gone by the time Silic wakes up. And I'm wondering why aren't they taking Silic prisoner? Oh right, right. I was I was totally as, just assuming that they were gonna take Silic prisoner, but they left him on the. Okay. I guess I don't know. Well, I mean, that's what's implied, but we haven't seen him since. <laughs> <laughs> uh, later, Enterprise has joined the Decure on the bridge. Ambassador Saval is on screen, admitting that the disc proved that the Enterprise did not destroy the Paragon colony. Saval recounts all the misdeeds Archer is responsible for, however, and he considers Archer reckless, irresponsible, and a danger to the Quadrant. He still wants Enterprise recalled. Um... Archer talks about a trip to East Africa he went on when he was in his 20s. He saw a baby gazelle being born and start running with its herd. Oh, I was like, where is this going at this point? (laughs) But humans are helpless when they're born, he says, and it takes time to crawl and then to walk. Mm -hmm. Uh, This mission is going to take time, too, and they're going to make mistakes, but they're going to learn from them. And that's what being a human is all about. Uh, mm-hmm. T'Pol chimes in and comes to Archer's defense, talking about how it took time for Vulcans to learn to suppress their emotions, and how the monastery that was destroyed has a listening outpost, which is dishonorable. Humans are the only ones to learn from their mistakes, she says, and the Enterprise's mission should continue. 
Saval gets pissed off and storms away. <laughs> uh, so, and uh, Forrest tells Archer that he'll tell them when they made their decision uh, about Enterprise's future. Uh, later in T'Pol's quarters, T'Pol is awakened by Archer. Archer tells her that he spoke to Admiral Forrest and that T'Pol was the one that really made the difference in determining that Enterprise's mission would continue. Woo! As Archer is leaving, T'Pol says that she still doesn't believe in time travel. The hell you don't, Archer says as he leaves. The Enterprise disengages from the Dekir and warps off as the episode ends. Well, there we have it. Finally. I can't imagine uh, back in the day, back in 2002, which, by the way, was definitely after Beat Mania. <laughs> the original Beat Mania debuted in 1997. So uh, not saying that uh, Daniels' uh, time controller was basically just a Beat Mania controller. <laughs> But it was kind of suspicious looking. It looked a lot like a B-Manian controller. Yeah, not like they necessarily modified one, but that maybe they were a little um, inspired. Let's say. <laughs> there were some Beatmania DJs on the, the writing crew uh, of Enterprise. Uh, yeah, so what did you think of it, buddy? Um, I thought it was a good conclusion. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to see all the temporal Cold War stuff. Um, I find Silic to be an interesting arch nemesis for Archer. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I don't know. Overall, it's kind of a, I wasn't super into this episode. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was, it was a continuation. It was clearly the second half of, which I thought, I thought that the first half was better. Yes. Um, this was clearly the second half. I didn't, um, there's some things that bother me about it. I mean, I still thought it was good. I still think that the two parts together are some of the best we've seen of Enterprise so far. Um, some things bothered me. Um, the, I mean, I don't think they have to explain exactly how time travel works, but I think they were very, they, you know, they kind of really skirted around the hows and whys of, you know, why bringing Archer there caused this, how it all works. I mean, basically, they're saying that they made some a device to communicate through time out of some gear that Archer had and Daniel's high school knowledge like basically a kid in high school could make this device that communicates through time right told them to get this device from his sealed off room and then somehow that device allowed archer to travel back in time right guessing um which he was basically able to go from being just a projection to like karate kicking Like doing a flying kick uh, through time. It was a time kick. If you think about it, that that uh, was like centuries in the making. I guess. I guess. Um, that and and you know, I feel like the season premiere or the series premiere, you know, kind of concluded with a fight in the in the uh, the t- the projection room of the Shadow Man. Oh, and right. This yeah. one did too. So it's just kind of like, ah, we've kind of been here before. But I mean, I liked it overall. I mean, I was definitely, you know, like, like I was saying, when the Enterprise was, you know, doing its pyrotechnics, I was a little like, what's going on? I was thinking for a second, like, is the Enterprise going to be destroyed? But then, um, uh, Archer will be successfully come back, which will somehow reset things. So at least I was left kind of wondering, you know, like, oh, where's this going to go? Mm hmm. Um, the temporal cold war stuff, I think is 
still cool. Um, I just, I'm kind of ready for them to reveal, like, okay, what is the temporal Cold War really about? And who are the players in it? You know? Mm hmm. Like, what's what's happening here? Yeah, who's hey, the shadow what, man? Hey, what's happening? You know? And but, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know Vulcans like to stick to their guns, but given <laughs> all the evidence, T'Pol is still like, nah, time travel's not a thing. Right, right. Um, I, ah, oh, man, yeah, I'm not, I'm not kidding, though. When they got to the part where Archer started talking about going to, like, Africa and seeing, like, the gazelle, I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> Like, this is the sappiest sap. It's, you know, I actually thought to Paul's uh, little speech. What, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Uh, I was just going to say, that's just Archer. He's just a sappy guy. So sappy. But I did think that to Paul's point that she made was pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, hey, even we had, you know, our problems in the past. So cut the human some. I mean, I, you've really seen development. Like, her character has really come along, come a long way. It's been a long time. <laughs> since episode one you know right like she's definitely buds with them now mm-hmm. uh yeah but uh but that was it it's back i can't imagine you know like i was gonna say back in 2002 waiting you know um waiting months waiting a year i can't remember how long it was back then uh for this to air i mean ending you know the first season on a cliffhanger i guess was pretty bold but uh yeah yeah we're back yeah um uh... We're going to take a little break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about Carbon Creek. Oh, boy. Did beings from another world visit Earth? We'll need to disguise ourselves. What is it? I believe you have that garment on backwards. The Star Trek story that rewrites history as you know it. I Love Lucy is on tonight. An all-new episode of Enterprise, next Wednesday at 8, 7 central on UPN. And we're back. Uh, let's talk about Star Trek Enterprise season two, episode two, Carbon Creek. <laughs> During the break, I'm sorry. During the break, uh, Justin, uh, said that the, that name reminded him of, of like one of the Native American casinos, uh, ho- hotel casino resorts up here in the Bay Area. Um, and, uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> After almost spitting my water out that I was drinking. Uh, yeah. Uh, original air date. September 25th, 2002, almost exactly a year after the season one premiere. Oh, good timing. Uh, Speaking of time. <laughs> in uh, The episode begins in Archer's dining room. Archer is pouring some wine for T'Pol and Trip. T'Pol doesn't usually drink wine, but she will drink a little for this occasion. They are celebrating one year of T'Pol officially being a member of the Enterprise crew. The previous record for a Vulcan serving on a human ship was 10 days. Archer has to fill out a crew evaluation for T'Pol and vice versa. Archer wants to know about her five-day leave while she was stationed in Sausalito. She went to a mining town in Pennsylvania called Carbon Creek. Uh, She tells Archer that it was not a vacation. It was a personal matter. Tripp wants her to tell them a story. She reveals that she went there because she wanted to see the site of first contact between humans and Vulcans. Archer and Trip laugh because that happened in Montana, but she says that it didn't, and she knows because her second foremother, her mother's mother's mother, was one of the visitors. 
So we're retconning things now. Yeah, I mean, Enterprise is all about that. They had an episode about Ferengi. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, would you like to hear the story, she asks, as the opening credits kick in. After the intro, cut back to Earth, Sputnik flies by. The camera pans up to a Vulcan ship. Inside, four Vulcans, one of whom looks exactly like T'Pol, are trying to repair their ship. They had traveled to Earth to see Sputnik. During their third week of gathering information on humans, they had to make an emergency landing. The ship crash lands, and the captain is killed in the crash, putting T'Pol's second foremother in charge. Cut to Archer's... Really good casting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. It's uncanny. Uh, Cut to Archer's dining room. Archer wants to know why this event was kept a secret, but T'Pol tells him that the information can be found on Vulcan. Trip thinks T'Pol's math is off since the event took place over 200 years ago, but Archer reminds him that Vulcans live a long time. Archer pours some more wine for T'Pol and asks her to continue. Uh, T'Pol explains that the subspace transceiver was destroyed in the crash, so they couldn't know if their SOS got through. The three Vulcans ate up all their rations in a week. Uh, five more days passed without them eating any food. At the campsite, T'Pol's second foremother detects two life forms. It's a couple of deer. Um, one of the Vulcans brings up the idea of eating one, uh, while the other male Vulcan views that as savagery. The first guy says that they should go to the nearby town, but T'Pol's second foremother doesn't want to contaminate their culture any further. Uh, the guy is willing to take the risk anyway, and he starts heading off towards town. We learn his name is Mistral. Uh, T'Pol's second foremother follows Mistral into Carbon Creek, leaving the third Vulcan behind at the campsite. Uh, Mistral and T'Pol's second foremother steal some clothes off a line and head into town. Mistral covers up his ears with a beanie cap, while T'Pol's second foremother covers hers up with her hair. They observe some miners going to work. Uh, Mistral is intrigued by the baseball game he hears on the radio. Uh, I do want to note that since this is their first encounter with humans, they make no mention about the smell of humans. Hmm. Continuity problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe Carbon Creek is just smelly in general. Yeah. I can't tell. It's the humans. Yeah. Maybe it's the coal mines are covering it up or something. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> the two Vulcans find a bar. They enter and hit up the bar for anything that doesn't require currency. Uh, in other words, free. <laughs> they get some nuts and water. Uh, T'Pol's second form mother explains that their vehicle broke down outside of Carbon Creek and that she and Mistral are not married, but are business associates. The man who is at the bar talking to the Vulcans wants to play a game of pool. The bar owner's son, Jackie, shows up and wants to play, but his mom tells him to go upstairs and do his homework. Mistral agrees to play a game of pool, despite being told that he shouldn't speak to the locals. Uh, They don't have any money to start with, so the pool player doesn't want to play with them. Uh, As the Vulcans are leaving, however, uh, the man presents his terms. If Mistral wins, the man will pay. If the man wins, T'Pol's second foremother will have a drink with him. 
Mistral agrees, but Tapal's second foremother does not. Uh, Mistral explains that it's a simple game and that they don't want to die of starvation. It turns out that the man is a very good pool player, but he misses one shot, which gives Mistral the chance to clean up. Uh, cut to the Vulcans leaving a market with bags of groceries. Uh, in Archer's dining room, Trip can't believe what he's hearing. Uh, he says it reminds him of a Twilight Zone episode. T'Pol is about to leave, but Archer and Trip are eager to hear more. Uh, again, I mean, Twilight Zone, great show, but that came out in, what, the 50s? And- yeah, yeah. once again, we have, uh, yeah, we have Enterprise referencing 50s culture. <laughs> We're, like, obsessed with it or something. Yeah. Uh Tapal tells them that the Vulcans knew that they couldn't rely on gambling, so they took whatever jobs they could, cleaning, repairing sinks, using Vulcan tools sometimes, and mining for coal. It turned out that they had to spend a longer time there than they expected, and they couldn't avoid humans forever. Mistral and the bar owner watch a news report about a nuclear test. Jack appears and asks if Mistral wants to play pool. Uh, he argues that it's a good way to study math. As it turns out, Jack wants to study mechanical engineering in college if he gets to go. He has a partial scholarship, and there's a collection jar in the bar where everyone's been pitching in to cover the rest. The Vulcans have an apartment in which they watch TV and read books. The other Vulcan, the plumber, uh, returns from repairing the sink of a woman named Mrs. Garrett for the third time that week. He would find it tolerable if her son didn't keep calling him Mo from the Three Stooges. Uh, More references to the past. Well, at least this time it makes sense. Yeah, they're in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul's second foremother wants Mo to work on the subspace transceiver, since he's actually a warp field engineer, but he insists that it's impossible. Uh, she wants to leave because she thinks the Earth is on the brink of self-annihilation. Mistral disagrees. Uh, humans may seem destructive, but so were Vulcans centuries ago, which the same argument T'Pol made in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, humans have potential, Mistral argues, because they have great empathy and compassion. T'Pol's second foremother counters that humans only welcome them because they think the Vulcans are humans. Mistral leaves to go back to the Vulcan ship to get a new antenna for his TV. Uh, he has to go right away because I Love Lucy is on that night. Uh, but it turns out that Mistral is getting picked up by the bar owner. Uh, T'Pol's second foremother watches this happen. Mistral and the bar owner come back from their trip. Uh, they went to see a baseball game. Um, for those who watched uh, DS9, Vulcans love baseball. Yeah. I guess uh, it's logical or something? I don't know. Did uh, they ever explain that? Um, I'm not sure. Or they probably did, but I can't remember. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um uh, the bar owner offers to go to the movies next time. She makes a joke about Mistral being from Mars. Mistral asks about her husband. Uh he left a long time ago and is living in Phoenix and he's not helping out with Jack's college. She then says it's difficult to keep a lid on her emotions, which Mistral understands, and she kisses him. It's awkward, but he says it was pleasant. 
she notices that T'Pol's second foremother is watching them. She is not pleased that Mistral is engaging in intimate activity, and she orders him to stop. Mistral points out that their mission is over, and he wants her to accept the fact that they may never leave Earth. Uh, later, T'Pol's second foremother is cleaning up the bar after closing. She is about to meditate when Jack appears, wanting to play some pool. Uh, Jack knows about meditation and where in the world people meditate because he spends a lot of time at the library studying various subjects, including astronomy. Jack wants to show her Sputnik, but she says she saw it already. <laughs> From space. <laughs> yeah, she got a much better view. Yeah. Uh, in the mines, the man who played pool before approaches Mistral and tells him that he has tickets for the baseball game. Everyone's going, including Maggie. The bar owner finally has a name, and suddenly there's a cave-in. In the Vulcan ship, Mistral is joined by the other two Vulcans. He's looking for the armory case. He wants to rescue the men trapped in the mine. T'Pol's second foremother says that they can't interfere. Uh, Mistral says that they have to have compassion, but she says that's an emotion. Uh, Mistral is going to help them anyway because they're his friends. In the mine, miners are working furiously trying to clear the block tunnel. Mistral goes off to a side path. He gets a call, and it turns out that T'Pol's second foremother is helping Mistral by giving him directions. Mistral goes further into the cave and uses his weapon to create a hole in the wall. Uh, he enters and finds the 12 trap miners. T'Pol tells Archer and Trip that Mistral became a hero to the town on that day. Uh, three months pass when suddenly the Vulcans get a call. We finally learn that T'Pol's second foremother is named Tamir. Uh, when <laughs> you she... finally stop having to call her that. Yeah. See, that's <laughs> the thing. This Enterprise, man, they never name their characters right away. Uh, yeah, so Tamir answers the call from Captain Tellus of the Vulcan survey vessel Deval. Tellus tells them that their message took some time to get forwarded to the Vulcan High Command. Uh, he's going to pick up the three Vulcans in three days. Mistral is not happy. Uh, later, Jack drives up to the bar and sees Tamir sweeping. He heard that she's leaving for home, quote, up north. Mm-hmm. Jack the is sky. Yeah, Sorry. you know. <laughs> Jack is gonna miss them because they're the most interesting people he's met in Carbon Creek. And it turns out he's not going to college because they couldn't get the money. Uh he's gonna start working in the mine. After Jack leaves, Maggie reveals to Tamir that Jack took the college boards and got the highest score of anyone in the county. Okay. Get ready for it, folks. <laughs> Well, you know, there has to be a character arc. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tamir is searching through the wreckage of the Vulcan ship. She finds something. Uh, later, she is sitting on the train and uh, is walking through a city until she finds a patent office. She shows the man at the office her invention, uh, Velcro. She leaves the office with a stack of cash. Now, months have passed, but no one has found this Vulcan ship. Yeah, and I'm wondering, well, you haven't gotten to that part yet, but that's that's true. And it was not a small ship. Yeah. Uh, the next day, Maggie enters the bar and sees that the jar is full of cash. 
in the Vulcan's apartment, Mr. All tells others that he plans to stay on Earth to learn more about humans. Uh, he wants to leave Carbon Creek and see what Earth has to offer. The Duvall arrives, and only Tamir and Mo show up to meet the other Vulcans. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, hey, they never name them. Yeah, so I, that's as good as anything. Uh, Tamir tells them that the captain and Mistral both died in the crash, and the remains were cremated. Back in Archer's dining room, Trip says that T'Pol has rewritten the history books. Archer wants to know how long Mistral stayed on Earth. The rest of his life, she says, 100 to 150 years or longer. Trip wants to know if what T'Pol told them really happened. Uh, you asked me to tell you a story, T'Pol responds cryptically. Uh, Trip feels tricked, and uh, Archer points out that she did go to Carby Creek, but she says that she also went to Yellowstone Park and the Carlsbad Caverns because she was studying geology. Mm. She gets up and leaves. In T'Pol's quarters, T'Pol pulls out Tamir's purse. So it did happen. It did happen. But now here's the question. Was it her? Or was it really Tamir? Uh, yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, it was confusing. It was confusing to me. There's the Vulcan uh, lifespan. Well, there, well... I mean, that was over 200 years ago, and Vulcan's yeah. lifespan isn't that long. No. No. It's just, yeah. It was it was unclear. Um, apparently, yeah, apparently it's 250 years. So what if, what if, uh, I guess it wouldn't be the case. I was going to say, what if T'Pol is near the end of her lifespan? <laughs> <laughs> that would be dark. Uh, you know, she has never said how old she is. Yeah, but we've seen older Vulcans. Yeah, she? yeah, they clearly age. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so it was Tamir, and apparently she passed the purse down. Um, it was a very detailed story for, for someone who had had this passed down to them. Yeah, you know, Vulcans have, uh, big brains uh, or something. Big brains and record keeping. Um, okay, you go first. What, what do you think? Um, what do you think? I mean, it was a nice change of pace episode, but it was weird yeah. to have this come right after uh, Shockwave Part 2. I agree on both points. Um, it was also, I thought, it, the thoughts that were going through my, my mind while I was watching were that, you know, obviously original series, start, basically all Star Trek series um, have, have done some sort of time travel to a past version of Earth. Um, and famously, uh, uh, it, for, in my mind, uh, the episode where the Enterprise crew, or the Enterprise, the Voyager crew travels to the 90s, complete with, um, uh, Tuvok with a do-rag is, is particularly memorable. <laughs> um, but, but, so I was reminded, this episode definitely reminded me of something like a original series episode where, where they travel in time. I will say though that, that, that the fact that it wasn't the main crew of the Enterprise traveling back to, to past Earth, um, I didn't really care for that. It was kind of like, oh wow, it's a sitcom about Vulcans, right? <laughs> Not a sitcom, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, yeah. they tried to be funny. Mm -hmm. They tried, and I was just like, I'm not laughing. They were, they were like the Coneheads. They were out of. <laughs> they were. Oh, remember when, um, when, um, the 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 guy, uh, what does his name end up being? Uh, anyways, the the guy who likes baseball is in the car with the girl with the with the with the mom right mm -hmm. and and she says something like what's do you have like a pointy head under there yeah but the whole time i'm looking at it and i'm just thinking 
this guy looks so weird. <laughs> like, he's got the really pointy Vulcan eyebrows. He's got the super hard features, you know? I'm just like, uh, I probably think he was pretty weird, you know? But I he, mean, no offense. Uh, he's, Vulcans, he's I a, think they look cool. Yeah, he's a super nice guy, and he's yeah, helpful. Yeah. yeah, true, true. He just never takes off his stocky cap. But I thought it was funny that she asked if he had a pointy head when you said cone heads. What does Coneheads ask? When when they gave them the free peanuts in the bar, I almost expected like to to Paul or uh her uh second foremother or whatever it was to start eating them just with the shells on. <laughs> like for some more attempted comedy. Uh the Mo thing. Yeah. The um the the showrunners of Enterprise seem really fascinated with nineteen fifties Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just got to say, <laughs> it's like all their references are the fifties and then they go to the fifties. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked to have seen an episode with the full crew. Um, it was interesting. It was cool to see some, well, but it wasn't even to Paul. No, it was <laughs> so. Yeah. And then the thing with the, the Velcro. <laughs> yeah. Was that real or was to Paul a truly unreliable narrator? I guess Vulcans aren't supposed to lie, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was just uh Enterprise rewriting history again. <laughs> this week on Enterprise. How are we gonna rewrite history? Yeah. I mean it was you know what? I will say this about it. It it was not bad. <laughs> That's such faint praise. But you know, when I when I saw what was happening, when I when they, they started leading, I'm thinking, wait a second, are they really going to go for like a, a flashback sequence that she's narrating? Like, they're, are they really doing this? And I was thinking, this is going to be the worst thing ever. But it actually wasn't. No, it, I mean, it was entertaining enough. It was just kind yeah. of... Oh, the music. It, oh. it was so weird that it was an Enterprise episode, not about the Enterprise crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of to Paul, but not... Mm-hmm. And it was basically a bunch of uh, a bunch of Vulcans, which we definitely haven't gotten enough on this series. Yeah, so we really need to learn more about Vulcans. Oh, this, oh. yeah, this series is all about teaching us about Vulcans. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the point where they start showing us, you know, species or character. I mean, we've hey, uh, don't uh, people are going to yell at me? Uh, I I fully I admit, you know, we have Suliban, we've seen other alien species, but. I just feel like they keep falling, and I, I feel like I'm just, you know, a broken record on this, that they keep falling back on the Vulcans way too often. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to see something new. Yeah. And that's that's part of the reason why the time travel element of this series bothers me, is it seems like a convenient way to get out of having to write new, new things if they travel through time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. anyways. Yeah, I don't know. Overall, fine. It was fine. Yeah. It was acceptable. <laughs> uh, next time, we're going to talk about two more Enterprise episodes, uh, Minefield and Dead Stop. Hmm. Those sound like they might go together? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Sounds like the kind of thing would happen if Enterprise was in a minefield. Yeah, they would yeah, have to come to a dead way. stop. So, we'll see if it ends up being like... Uh, Remember that scene in uh, Galaxy Quest when uh, there's mines? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe Anyways. so. Um, so what do you think of uh, Season 2 so far? 
varied. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely, like you said, it's it, it was it, it's like a complete tonal shift between the first two episodes. Yeah, I mean, clearly they couldn't have premiered the season with the with the time travel or with the uh, uh, Carbon Creek. I mean, that would have just been totally weird. So it yeah. makes sense that they premiered with the second half of of the uh, of the time time tra- the other time travel story. Yeah, and, and maybe they wanted to take a little breather. They thought, mm-hmm. "Oh man, Shockwave was so intense. Let's mm-hmm. take a little yeah. detour over here." Yeah, but I'm uh, I'm definitely you know I, I felt like Enterprise by the end of the first season had gotten off to a good start um and and so i'm gonna give it a few more episodes into season two before i really say you know oh you know here's how it's matured Mm -hmm. but how about you yeah i mean it's more enterprise it hasn't done anything really different it hasn't Mm -hmm. done anything to really wow me so far but Mm -hmm. you know i want to keep going um me too. I'm still interested in the characters. I yeah. wish I wish those characters were in Carbon Creek, but apparently yeah. not. I actually I would say that too. I really found myself missing them mm-hmm. from that episode. I wanted to see how you know, I really wanted to see how like Neelix well, if they could find a way to disguise them, you know, how Neelix would have Neelix. Reacted. Not Neelix. Yeah, uh, you know, the doctor. Flocks. Flocks. Yeah. Neelix. Yeah, I wanted to see how Neelix would react too. I'm still obsessed with Neelix. I'm still upset we didn't see any Neelix cosplay at Fanime, okay? Um, but Dr. Flox, it would have been interesting to see how he reacted. It would have been interesting to see, you know, a trip in 1950s, you know? Just, I don't know. Yeah. Just that. Archer. It just seems like Archer's ideal era. Because <laughs> it's so cheesy. <laughs> But anyways, folks. Uh, Yeah, so uh, we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, see you then. 